This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. everybody it is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville North Carolina welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on sports country radio I uh, hope you all are uh, warming up there in the Northeast I know things have been pretty brutal and I guess it's supposed to be cold again today we're expecting some snow believe it or not here down in uh, uh, North Carolina and uh, on the North Carolina Georgia border not looking forward to that I thought I left that behind when I left New England but I guess not uh, but anyway, we got a lot to get to this morning. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a grab bag full of stuff. I watched a great college basketball game last night, and it reminded me how much uh, I like college basketball so much better than the pro game. Uh, I watched the UConn-St. John's game last night. You know, the Big East games are always very entertaining, and this one was just great. Two teams just absolutely going at it, went into overtime uh, we'll get to talk about that in a minute as well. Uh, I want to start this morning, though. Uh, we weren't here yesterday, obviously. Um, and I mentioned on Tuesday's show that I didn't believe that the Giants were going to fire their coach, Joe Judge. I didn't think that Judge was the problem. I felt that, uh, you know, the Gettleman, the general manager, was the problem from the get-go uh, you know, they had injuries and, you know, just look, you know, they just haven't done a good job in the last several years of drafting. I'm still not convinced that Daniel Jones is the quarterback for that team. I didn't think Judge was necessarily the problem. They well, Look, when they hired Judge, they said, look, we're rebuilding and we want you to be the guy um, that's going to do that as I try to say. As, as those of you on Facebook watch me, I'm trying to figure out where the hell to put this microphone because God knows you need to see my beautiful face. Um, anyway, uh, but they did pull the plug, and I was, I'm was i still surprised by it, to be honest with you. Um, and the comment made by the owners yesterday, especially John Mara, and and I guess when you look at it the way he put it, I, I get it. But he said we just got to a point where I thought we had dug ourselves a hole so deep that I didn't see a clear path to getting out of it unless we completely blew it up and started all over again with a new general manager and head coach. And he said, look, I rushed when I hired Dave Gettleman. He admitted that, you know, it was probably a mistake. They felt they needed, a you know, a veteran guy, and they turned to him. And, you know, he admitted that, that it was, you know, probably too quick. So he wants to take his time with this one. And he said, when I hire the new guy, he needs to be able to feel like he can hire his own guy. So when you put it like that, I get it. Um, I, I kind of feel bad for Judge 
you know, and, and and I'm sure. Look, I'm not a New York Giant fan, and I uh, like I said, I watched a handful of their games and not even entire games this year. So maybe you that are are Giant fans are going to tell me that I'm out of my mind. But in the times that I watched, I didn't see him as necessarily the problem. But look, having said that, the Giants are a mess, and the problem for that rests squarely on the shoulders of John Mara and uh, uh, Steve Tisch, the owners, period. It, you know, look, uh, I, I don't see how you can see it any other way. They are the ones that have made some poor decisions in the last several years with head coaches and with general managers, and I'm not talking about just Joe Judge. You know, it's been a mess for a while. So, you know, and they're not going anywhere. You know, the Mara family has owned this team for a long time, and they can t- they plan on owning it for a long time to come. There's other Maras in the wings, you know. Uh, uh, John Mara's son Chris is uh, high up in the front office. So it's, you know, it's just the Maras are not going away. So... By the way, those of you that are watching on Facebook, we're trying something a little bit different this morning, internet-wise. I don't know that it's going to be any better, but we're giving it a shot uh, because of uh, using HughesNet down here. It's been a challenge. I'm trying to run the video portion of this off of the hotspot on my phone, thinking that perhaps the quality will be a little better. Uh, hopefully, somebody can let me know. But uh, uh, I know it's not ideal, and hopefully, we'll get fiber in here before too long. But we're uh, we're just we're uh, we're muddling along as best we can, um, and and by the way, if you get tired of if you if you if you get tired of looking at me, and God knows I would, uh, you know, you can always go over to SportsCountry.net and you can listen to the audio version only. The audio, I sh- I am sure, is way better than the video. Uh, you just don't get to see me. Good, okay, but God, I don't even want to see me. I, I avoid mirrors like the plague. Anyway, um, so that's where the Giants are at. Judges out. Um, and the Giants have already interviewed a couple of GM candidates, one from Buffalo, one from Arizona, uh, and then they'll be looking for a new head coach. Uh, there's talk that Brian Flores, by the way, the fired coach of the Miami Dolphins, is going to interview for the job in Chicago. Um, I'll tell you what, and if I'm the Giants, I think I, if I'm the Giants, I want to get myself a general manager, and uh, I'd like to, to bring in Brian Flores to talk to him too. I, I'm very high on Brian Flores, what he has done in Miami. Um, he should be at the front of the list for a lot of teams that are looking for coaches. Just my opinion. but uh, So we'll see. But anyway, the Giants are going to take their time with the general manager, and the concern you get there if you are a Giant fan is, well, look, there's some great names out there, a lot of great offensive coordinators and, and defensive coordinators around the league that are going to interview for jobs. Who's going to be left by the time we hire a general manager if we take too long? So, um, you know, but again, I think, you know, John Mara doesn't want to make a mistake like they did the last time with Gettleman, and they want to make sure they get it right this time. Uh, Other interesting news out of the NFL, very strange news. Uh, It was one of these where I saw the story yesterday, and I went, huh? Uh, Eric Weddle is coming out of retirement to join the Los Angeles Rams for the playoffs. Now, look, Eric Weddle was a hell of a player. Uh, played for the Rams his final season. Uh, he hasn't played, folks, since 2019. He didn't play all last year. He didn't play all this year. He's 37 years old. 
Now, having said that, the last time he played in 2019, he had 108 tackles, and you know the Rams missed the playoffs that year, but uh, long-time impact defensive back with the Chargers as well. This guy was talented, but he's 37 years old, but the Rams are desperate. Uh, they, they lost Jordan Fuller, uh, who was out with an ankle injury. He's out for the playoffs. He got hurt in the overtime loss to the 49ers last week. Um, you know, everybody else in that defense, with the exception of Jalen Ramsey, everybody else in that defensive backfield has been a mess. Uh, so, uh, Taylor Rapp, uh, hasn't been very good and he's in concussion protocols anyway. So they find themselves shorthanded and not real hot and figured what the hell do we have to lose? Now they're just signing him to the practice squad, but they're going to bring him in. They're going to find out what he's got left. And, uh, hey, uh, you know, what kind of a difference maker he can be, I don't know. Now, he's coming into a system that he's familiar with. But still, uh, you know, look, here's the deal. They've got to play against Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. And that defensive backfield is going to be an issue. They are going, the Cardinals are going to try to exploit that. Uh, Kyler Murray in the two games against the Rams this season has thrown for 651 yards. Pretty good. Uh, and, you know, he likes to get out and run with the football. So, you know, the defensive backs are going to have to be involved in that as well. You know, and Weddle is certainly or was certainly capable of being a difference maker. I just don't know what he's got left. But that's how desperate the Los Angeles Rams are right now. And look, you know, I think the Rams are afraid that the Cardinals are going to figure things out. You know, look, the Cardinals kind of stumbled down the stretch, but the Cardinals are still a very dangerous team. And, you know, it's a question of are the Cardinals as bad as they were the last seven or eight games of the season, or are they as good as they were the first seven or eight games of the season? So the Rams, I think, are really thinking about Weddle just as kind of a uh, a, a holy crap uh, kind of uh, safety valve just in case. And you know what? He's 30, like I said, he's 37, but maybe at 37, the fact he's had two years off, maybe he can come in, you know, you want him to play a couple of games, right? The Rams are hoping that he gets him, you know, can play a few games, get him into the Super Bowl. And if you do that, if he does that, he'll be a hero in Los Angeles forever. But I wouldn't count on it. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, the coach of the Cardinals, had a great line. He said, uh, he must be living a lot healthier lifestyle than I was after I retired. He said he was a fantastic player a couple of years ago, uh, but, uh, you know, we'll see. And he said, if anybody can do it, though, there's no doubt that he can. So uh, the smart move here by Kingsbury is, is, first of all, he's right. I mean, most guys, when they retire, unless Weddle's been staying in shape, you know, but again, if you only got to play a few games, maybe you can, maybe you can get away with it. Um, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, but, but. Kingsbury's being smart here. He's not going like, yeah, come on, whatever. You know, I mean, he's not kind of disparaging this. You do not, you don't, you don't poke the bear. Uh, one other football thing, uh, and by the way, tomorrow we'll have uh, Dan Zampano on to talk NFL football, talk playoffs, um, talk uh, coach uh, hirings, firings, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, uh, we can look forward to that. The last football thing I have this morning, though, 
is if you remember last Sunday, everybody made a big deal. T.J. Watt, you know, setting the sack record and uh, breaking Michael Strahan's record that had stood since 2001. Well, the Elias Sports Bureau said not so fast. They took away one of the sacks for Watt last week, so he is going to have to settle for being tied with Michael Strahan. Um, and Watt appealed to Elias, and they denied the appeal. I will say this. I think T.J. Watt's got a point, but at the end of the day, uh, who cares? You know, I mean, and, and by the way, he was breaking the record in 17 games. Although he did, you know what? I say that he was breaking the record in 17 games. Strahan did it in 16. You know, let's remember TJ Watt missed a couple of games this year with injury. So, uh, you know, I guess when you look at it that way, it almost is apples to apples. Um, and, and I think Watt's got a point. I mean, the play that they denied the sack on, if you remember, um, it was in the second quarter, and he sacked Huntley, uh, Tyler Huntley, the uh, Ravens quarterback, uh, or we thought he did it, but uh, it was a bad snap. Huntley picked it up, and uh, you know it was clearly going to be a passing play, but it was a bad snap. Well, the problem is, is that when Elias looks at it, and a lot of statisticians look at it, once there's that bad snap, unless he's able to drop back and like kind of set up to pass, it kind of becomes a running play. You know, the bad snap, it becomes a running play, and, and uh, you know, he brought him down, and the ball popped loose, and, uh, you know, the, the fumble and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, I, I, you know, look, it was supposed to be a passing play, but the bad snap turned it into a running play. That's just the way it goes. You know, having been a statistician in uh, college football for a long, long time, that's just the way it goes. When a when a quarterback when there's a bad snap and a quarterback you know doesn't have an opportunity uh, to throw the football, it just goes down as a run and a tackle for a loss. And that's exactly what happened here with T.J. Watt. So, uh, but again, you know what? There's no denying what a great player T.J. Watt is, and whether or not he ties uh, Michael Strahan's record or you know or beats it, you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, he did. great. He's a great player, and and there is there is no team in the NFL that wouldn't love to have T.J. Watt lining up. And and if you're T.J. Watt, you know, uh, let's not make a big deal of it. You made your appeal, and now you just need to move on. So I hope, you know, hopefully, he's not going to make a big deal out. I'm sure we're going to hear about it on the game uh, this weekend when the Steelers play the Kansas City Chiefs and in, uh, in the playoffs. Uh, and if you're T.J. Watt. And if you're pissed off that, you know, you didn't get the record, but I don't know that he really is. But if you're T.J. Watt and you're pissed, take it out on Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs this week and make a difference for the Steelers and let them beat the Chiefs. Good luck with that. But, you know, if you're T.J. Watt, that's how you that's how you, uh, uh, you make your statement. You have a big game this weekend. Um, so we got some baseball stuff. I love this. We're actually talking baseball. Uh, first of all, the players' union and the – Major League Baseball uh, negotiators with for the owners are supposed to meet today. First meeting we've had since December. Thank God we're finally going to have a meeting. And, you know, let's see what happens. Uh, let's hope that MLB comes across with something that's reasonable. You know, let's hope it's not, uh, you know, just rehashing some of the crap about actually lowering the luxury tax threshold and all this other stuff, you know. Uh, look, one of the things that the players want is they want their younger players to be compensated sooner. You know, they don't want 
you know, these young guys to have to take minimum salary for a few years before they're arbitration eligible. You know, that's a big sticking point for them. I get that. Um, you know, and, and the, the universal DH is another thing, and, you know, the expanded playoffs are another thing. But this is, at the end of the day, this is all about money. It's not about playoffs necessarily. It's not about DH. It's about how much money these guys can make and how quickly they are going to get more freedom to move around or salary freedom. So, um, but at least they're talking. You know, it gives us a shred of hope that we could have spring training on time. That don't count the chickens, but, uh, you know, we can hope. So that's number one. Uh, number two, John Lester uh, announced his retirement yesterday. Uh, pitched for 16 years. Um, played for the Red Sox for a long time. Matter of fact, was drafted by the Red Sox uh, in the second round of the draft back in uh, 2002. Great story. A guy that won 200 games in his career, something that we won't see a lot of anymore because wins have been devalued. We don't see pitchers going deep into games anymore. Uh, we're not going to see – We may. I, we, I, my guess is we will never see a 300-game winner again. You know, there's a couple of guys that have an outside shot at it if they pitch well into their 40s that are pitching now. But, you know, guys that are just starting their careers in the last five, six years, we're never seeing a 300-game winner. We may not even see a 200-game winner. Well, we probably will, but not that many of them. John Lester had a great career, uh, no question. Uh, 200 wins, 117 losses, I believe. Uh, you know, the debate is going to start as to whether or not John Lester should be a Hall of Famer. I don't uh, – John Lester, when you look at it, you know, on the face of it, a 3.66 career ERA, a career whip of 1.28, uh, you know, and so you'd say, you know, that's, that's pretty good, but only 200 wins. But if you look hey, – look, he was a five-time All-Star. He's got three rings, two with the Red Sox, one with the Chicago Cubs. When you when you look at Lester, it's not about wins necessarily. It's not about regular season. He was a great uh, postseason pitcher. Uh, his postseason, he's got uh, uh, a two five one ERA in postseason play, and a and a walk and hits to innings pitch of one point oh two. He was a very, very good postseason pitcher. 154 innings in the postseason. You know, when you look at that, you know, he's, I think his innings pitched in uh, career-wise is like fifth all-time, no, ninth all-time, excuse me, in playoff innings and strikeouts, ninth. Uh, and and a four and one record, by the way. You know, I talked about two five one in the postseason. Uh, in the World Series, folks, he's four and one. You know, I mean, this is a guy that when he had to step up big, he did. Four and one in in uh, the World Series with a one seven seven ERA and an O nine three WHIP. You know, look. Uh, that's huge. You know, a lot of the reason that Kurt Schilling is getting so much attention for the Hall of Fame isn't necessarily because of what he did in the regular season. It's because what he did in big games as well. John Lester is very similar to that. Plus, 
we have the, the, the situation with Lester, of course, when he debuts with the Red Sox in 2006. He's 22 years old, and, you know, he goes 7-2. and two, And then all of a sudden, his season's over because they find out that he's got cancer. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, he finds out in early September, so that he's done. And he's back by the middle of the 2007 season. And, uh, you know, look, you know, he, uh, he pitched well when he came back. Uh, he pitched in the World Series against the Rockies. Pitched like six shutout innings, got the win. Um, so that's a great story in and among itself. Uh, this is a guy that's got a no-hitter in his career. I mean, he's got a lot of things going for him, but at the end of the day, he's still going to be a borderline Hall of Famer, and I don't think I, – I, I'm probably I, – I, I may be wrong, but I don't think he gets into the Hall of Fame the traditional way, which is on the writer's ballots. I think this is a guy that – is going to if he's going to get in, it may have to be on the veterans committee. You know, if you look at his, if you look at, and we're very numbers driven now, especially looking at regular season performances. If you look at that, he's not a Hall of Famer. You know, if you if you look at some of the guys that are are in the Hall of Fame now, I think they said there's 66 starters in the Hall of Fame. And uh, he doesn't come close to matching up with any of them. So, you know, but having said that, if you look at the entirety of his career, if you look at the story, if you look at his um, performances in big games, this is a guy that probably belongs in the Hall of Fame. We'll just have to see if he makes it. Um, I, I hope he does. He's also a very classy guy. Uh, what I loved with him when he announced his retirement yesterday, he said that, that he says, I tell people, I don't want them to tell me when I'm done. I want to give them the Jersey and say, Hey, thanks for everything. I'm out. And he, he says, I think there's still that question, but I think there's also the desire to still want to do it. But it's, this is a guy that wants to go out on his terms. He doesn't want to be told, Hey, you know, forget it. Could he still pitch in the major leagues? Absolutely. You know, was he great last year? No. You know, he signed a, a contract with the Washington Nationals, and uh, he wasn't great for them. He had an ERA of five in 16 starts. You know, he was, you know, let's be honest. I mean, uh, John Lester hasn't been great since 2018. 2019, 20, and 21, he was just okay. You know, I uh, got traded to St. Louis and look, he pitched pretty well for the Cardinals down the stretch. He made 12 starts for him, had an ERA of four, three, six. You know, he pitched better for them than he did for the Nationals. That's for sure. But he's still not the John Lester that everybody was used to seeing. So I, I think, look, I think this is a guy that, you know, at uh, at his age said, I see the writing on the wall at 38 years of age. It's like, you know, how much more, uh, you know, maybe I could, you know, work out another season, is it really worth it, and then have or have them somebody cut me in the middle of the year. And, look, nobody has to feel sorry for John Lester. 
You know, this is a guy that made a lot of money. His career earnings, according to baseball reference, through 2021, this is a guy that made $198 million in his career. So we don't need to feel sorry for John Lester. This is a guy that made as much as $27,000 in a season. You know, he had five straight years where he made $20 million or more. So he's going to be just fine. Um, but good for him going out on his own terms. And now the debate will start about whether he's a Hall of Famer or not. Like I said, I think he's borderline. But I think if you look at the entirety of his career, he is certainly somebody that uh, warrants consideration and, and might be one of those guys that will get in. You know, you could look at him. I, you know, well, I don't know. I was going to say maybe you look at him at somebody, if you're a Red Sox fan, look at him like somebody like a Louis Tiant that really looks like he should be in the Hall of Fame but just has never gotten the love. Um, you know, he's a, he's a guy that's a contemporary of Justin Verlander, but most people would tell you Justin Verlander is going to be a hall of famer. And, uh, you know, Lester, uh, is just a touch below that. So we'll see, but uh, good for him being able to go out on his own terms. Uh, a couple other notes, the twins announced yesterday, they are going to retire the number of Jim Cott, uh, who just got elected to the hall of fame. Uh, Cott's 83 years old, so good for him. That And, and uh, you know, look, Jim Cott is one of the classiest guys you ever want to meet. I met him a couple of times uh, in my times working at Fenway Park. Uh, classy man. Uh, he will join uh, players like uh, Harmon Killebrew, Rod Carew, uh, Kirby Puckett, Burt Blylevin, uh, Joe Maurer, who have all had their numbers retired by the uh, Minnesota Twins. Uh, so his number 36 will never be worn. Uh, by the Twins. They're going to do it at a pregame ceremony on uh, July 16th uh, at Target Field. And the Mets announced yesterday they are going to retire Keith Hernandez's uh, number 17. Uh, Hernandez uh, will have his number retired along with uh, Tom Seaver, Mike Piazza, and Jerry Kuzman. Um, they just retired Kuzman's last October. Um, he's in the Mets Hall of Fame. Second in team history with a 297 career batting average. Uh, and uh, six of his 11 gold gloves that he won in his career, he won with the New York Mets. You know, Keith Hernandez is another one of these guys, by the way, along with Lester. Hernandez is a guy that I always felt should be a Hall of Famer. He's one of those borderline guys and never got in, but it's a guy uh, with a you know a two, 296 career batting average and 821 career OPS, one of the best fielding first basemen uh, in history, over 1,000 runs batted in. But, you know, it's, again – uh, you know, when you look at his numbers compared to other first basemen in the Hall of Fame. And that's the thing is he doesn't stack up necessarily well. He doesn't have, for a corner infielder, you know, you expect your first baseman and your third baseman uh, to hit a lot of home runs. You know, Keith Hernandez was a guy that was a doubles hitter. This is a guy that had uh, 162 career home runs, but this is a guy that could hit the gaps and uh, was a line drive hitter. He wasn't a guy that hit for, hit bombs. You know, and that's, I think, hurt his candidacy. If, you know, if this is a guy that had 400 career home runs with a 296 career batting average, it'd be a different uh, conversation. Uh, but anyway, he was uh, very touched, uh, and uh, they are going to do that uh, at some point coming up uh, here next season, which is cool. Uh, one other quick baseball note. Uh, the Orioles announced yesterday they are going to move the fences back at Camden Yards. Camden Yards, by the way, one of my favorite ballparks in Major League Baseball. It might be my favorite Yes, even more than Fenway Park. And I love Fenway Park. Obviously, he's a Red Sox fan. and you know. Uh, but Camden Yards, I've been there several times. I've sat in different places. There's not a bad seat in the house. It's a fun place to see a game. 
the food is great there. Uh, it's not as expensive as trying to go to Fenway, but it is just a great ballpark. They are going to move the fences back as much as 30 feet this year and raise the wall up as much as 5 feet. Look, that place is a bandbox. I mean, it's a fun, it's a great ballpark, but uh, it's a hitter's ballpark. And, you know, the fact that the Orioles have an awful pitching staff doesn't help. But, look, they, uh, they gave up a ton of home runs last year. Orioles allowed 155 home runs at home and 103 on the road. Same number of games. They allowed 52 more home runs at home. Uh, they hit 122 homers at home, 73 on the road. So, you know, it's one of those things where uh, when you have a bad ball club like the Orioles are, you got to stop the bleeding somehow. And hopefully this will help keep the ball in the ballpark. And I, I just hope, you know, by raising the, the fences and stuff five feet, I just hope it doesn't ruin uh, the aesthetics of the ballpark. It's a beautiful ballpark, and I, I hope it doesn't screw it up too much. But uh, we shall see. Uh, but the Orioles tr- do, trying to do whatever they can to keep themselves competitive this coming year. It's uh, 34 minutes past. Yeah, we've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 37 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Thursday morning. Um, so as I said, I watched uh, the UConn basketball game last night against uh, St. John's. And just a great game. UConn ends up winning it 86-78 in overtime. Uh, a game that they led by 10 with about six minutes to go. And look, UConn has had trouble finishing games this year. They are 11-4 and four now. All four of their losses are a, by a combined 14 points. And it looked like it was going to go that way again last night. Uh, Julian Champagny hit a three-pointer uh, with 4.9 seconds to go. And St. John's had its first lead since like midway through the first half. Uh, and uh, it looked like UConn was you know going to lose another one. But... They were able to get the ball up the court, and it was tipped out of bounds, and that was a huge break for UConn. They ended up getting the ball just inside half court. Um, R.J. Cole drove to the basket, couldn't get the shot to go, but Adama Sanogo was right there, got the rebound, got fouled, hit the first one to tie it with 1.3 seconds to go. All he had to do was hit the second one. The game's over in, in the regulation. Missed it, and uh, we went to overtime, and then – uh, St. John scored the first bucket in overtime, and then UConn scored the next 11, and the game was over. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, Danny Hurley can take a little bit of a sigh of relief because it's uh, it's been a frustrating start for UConn. I mean, 11-4, uh, it's not a bad start, but they're 2-2 two and two in the Big East, and you know, losing that game to Seton Hall in overtime on the weekend, just a killer. Um, so a big one. You know, UConn's got to do some work from the foul line, though. Uh, they struggled last night. They were 17 of 26, but 7 of 14 in the second half, and they missed three of them in the final 15 seconds. If you make your free throws, that game's over, and you're not sweating it out in overtime. Uh, But they went 7 for 7 in the overtime, so, you know, that's what made it look better because, uh, you know, 10 for 19 at one point, not good. Uh, But anyway, uh, a a good win. uh, the referees helped them out a little bit. I'd have to say 
26 fouls called on St. John's last night, only 13 on UConn. A little home cooking maybe, you know. There were a couple of there were a couple of 50-50 calls that went UConn's way, no no question, but I, you know, a lot of the calls um I thought were legit, but there were a couple that you could say, "Ooh, I don't know." Um and UConn's defense was great. 14 block shots in the game. So, you know, St. John's can bitch all they want about the fouls. At the end of the day, UConn played great defense. 14 block shots. They had a, a boatload of steals. Um, and, look, St. John's didn't shoot the ball well. I think they only shot 36% from the field. And UConn, you know, cleaned up the boards, did not give up a lot of second chances. So, good win for UConn last night, no question. R.J. Cole, 19 points, 8 assists in 38 minutes last night. Uh, Tyrese Martin ended up with 11 points last night. Uh, very short rotation for UConn. Uh, Denny Hurley didn't go deep into the bench, but uh, again, a big win, one that they needed. They're supposed to play Providence College on Saturday. Providence currently number 23 in the country, but Providence has COVID issues. So uh, not sure whether they're going to be able to play that game or not. Um, I'll have to uh, you know, kind of check that, but they're supposed to play them on Saturday. And UConn, are certainly, they're, look, they're starting to get into a rhythm again, and, and uh, the last thing they need is any more COVID cancellations. We've had so many of those. Uh, the UConn women's team won again last night. Uh, they're number 10 in the country. Of course, they've got injuries all over the place. Paige Becker is the best player in the country. The sophomore out probably until just before the tournament. Uh, but they beat Butler last night by 45, 92-47, and that's because Butler is just hideous. I mean, they're just awful. Uh, so, you know, they were able to get by a team like that. And they've got to play them again in a couple of games. So that'll help you get healthy. I mean, how bad is Butler? They're 1-12. 1-12. 4 in a Big East. Uh, they committed 27 turnovers last night. It's just, it's just, uh, just awful. But uh, Caroline Ducharme, nice game last night for the Huskies. Uh, she had 18 points. Um uh, they got some uh, good contributions from Olivia Nelson Adota. She's been she's been struggling of late. She was uh, nineteen point seven rebounds last night. Avina Westbrook came off the bench last night, scored thirteen, and Aaliyah Edwards showed some sign of life. Aaliyah Edwards, who was a big part of that team last year, uh, off the bench, uh, struggled a little bit this year, but last night came out with twelve twelve point seven rebounds. Um, again, it was Butler, so you can't get too excited, but when you're as banged up as the UConn Huskies have been, a win is a win. You take it and you run. Um, I caught a little bit of the Duke game last night. Uh, Duke beat Wake Forest last night, 76-64, but Duke uh, did not have their head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, on the bench. It was not COVID-related, but he was ill, uh, they said, but it was not uh, COVID-related, so... uh, uh, he had to take the night off, and you know, look, that was a, a game that you would like to have him on the bench because they had to come off of a uh, uh, a loss to Miami, a surprising loss at home to Miami over the weekend, uh, but a good bounce back game for them last night. Duke now thirteen and two; they're three and one in the ACC, and that's a good Wake Forest team. Wake Forest uh, that was just their fourth loss of the season; they're at five hundred um, in the conference, but uh, a big run at the start of the second half. The difference in this one. Uh, A.J. Griffin, a season-high 22 points to go along with 24 from uh, Paulo Banchero. Uh, and Duke comes up with the win. Another good Big East game last night, by the way. Villanova, the 14th team in the country against number 17, Xavier. Villanova wins that one 64-60. Colin Gillespie, one of the best players in the country, 21 points. Uh, and uh, Justin Moore added 16 for Xavier in that one. Uh, Xavier now, that's just their third loss of the season 
Uh, Villanova Im- improves to 12-4 and four and 5-1 and one in Big East play. The loss drops Xavier to 2-2. Two and two. They're now in a tie uh, with the UConn Huskies in the Big East standings. Uh, Celtics with a win last night. Uh, they beat the Indiana Pacers, the second of a home and home series with the Pacers. Uh, they won. They won last night, one nineteen to one hundred. Led wire to wire. Uh, this one was never close. Uh, Jalen Brown, thirty four points, shot eleven for eighteen. Jason Tatum, thirty three points, shot eleven for nineteen. And, you know, and that's the problem with the Celtics a lot is you know Tatum and Brown love to shoot the basketball, but they don't always shoot at a high percentage. They both shot the ball well last night. Uh, and uh, they won this one easily. Dennis Schroeder last night, uh, 23 points back in the starting lineup, including 13 in the third quarter. Uh, look, Celtics are back to 500, but they're still in a play-in position in the NBA standings. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, they're just not a very good team. You know, and and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are great players, but they just do not have the supporting cast. And, and, you know, they're going to have to address that in the offseason. You know, and and the shame of it is when you look at the Celtics, they shouldn't be this bad. Remember all those draft picks they had that Danny Ainge hoarded for so long? They didn't use them effectively at all to either bring in talent or to improve their draft position. And that's why they are where they are. You know, I mean, they they had an opportunity – to use those picks. I mean, what they had one point, they had like uh, six or seven first round picks in their pocket and they damn near wasted all of them. It's just a shame. Uh, other Boston news last night, uh, the Bruins, Brad Marsh on a hat trick in the first two periods last night. Uh, Bruins beat the Canadians, the Canadians, the Canadians. They are just awful. Seven 25 and three this year. They were playing just their first game since the first of January because of, uh, uh, NHL and uh, uh, province of Quebec COVID issues, but still, good Lord. Uh, but Marshawn, just uh, talk about hot. His last four games, he's got eight goals and four assists. I uh, remember the other night uh, in, in the game before that against the Washington Capitals, uh, he got his nose bloodied from a high stick and was skating around with uh, blood dripping off his nose and stuff, uh, cotton stuffed up his, up his nostrils uh, and still scored a couple of goals. So he is on fire. He can't do much wrong right now. Uh, they play again tonight. They have the Tampa Bay Lightning, I believe, tonight. And we may see the debut of Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask is coming back to Boston. He signed a team-friendly uh, prorated $1 million salary. A guy who was making $7 million a year before, but he just wanted to come back and play. And uh, so uh, he is going to be back, and uh, we may see him in, in nets tonight for the Boston Bruins. 46 minutes past the hour. We've got to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. Got a few minutes left this morning. Uh, once again, Dan Zampano coming up tomorrow on Friday to talk uh, NFL playoffs. The playoffs, of course, begin on Saturday. Patriots play Saturday night. We've got our first ever uh, Monday night playoff game this year. So we're going to have uh, playoffs on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday this week. Uh, the ongoing saga of Novak Djokovic. <laughs> I'm already, I'm so sick of talking about this. But uh, Djokovic actually acknowledged yesterday that, uh, hey, guess what? I lied. Uh, his travel declaration form that he had to uh, give uh, to uh, Australia prior to coming into the country uh, did not disclose that he had traveled 
in the two-week period before entering Australia. That alone, by the way, is grounds for deportation. Uh, so, you know, and he admit, so he's now admitted it. Now it's a case of this has become such a public nightmare for Australia. Uh, they have to decide how deep they want this PR thing to go. And, uh, and this is going to be a question of whether the government uh, and the prime minister who is running for re-election uh, wants to uh, uh, take a stand here. And, uh, uh, and he only will, I think, if he thinks that it will help his re-election chances, but we'll see. But look, you know, so he lied. And then, you know, he also said, he also confessed to an error of judgment. You've, you've heard about the interview and photo shoot that he did in Serbia last month after he tested positive for COVID. So he tests positive for COVID, then goes to an interview and, and a photo shoot and doesn't disclose to anybody that, hey, by the way, I've tested positive for COVID. I mean, what a douchebag. I'm sorry. Uh... You know, and um, I, I, I've, oh, I've felt from the beginning with Djokovic that he's just like, you know, I'm the number one player in the world and I'm the best player in the world and I've got 20 grand slams and so the rules should be different from me, which is why it was refreshing to hear guys like uh, Rafael Nadal and some other people say, hey, no, you know what? The rules are the rules and you should follow them. So um, now he was put into the uh, draw at the Australian Open. As the number one seed, we, we still don't know whether he's going to be able to play. Obviously, the Australian officials are planning on him playing. But if he gets deported, that's going to be a moot point. But as of right now, he is in the official draw as the number one seed. Uh, so we'll see. Um, this was a great story. We didn't get to talk about it yesterday because uh, I wasn't here. But what a great story. Uh, and this is why one of the reasons why I love the Olympics you probably, I don't know if you've heard, but uh, Brittany Bow, uh, who is a great speed skater, um, did not qualify for the 500 meters at the U.S. speed skating trials in Milwaukee. Uh, why? Because she stumbled. Uh, and so because of that, um, she uh, did not make it. And so, actually, I, I got it backwards. It was Aaron Jackson that stumbled. Brittany Bow was the one that that uh, ended up winning the thing because of the stumble by Aaron Jackson. So, Bow decided that she was going to give up her spot on the 500 meters, despite the fact that she won. She was going to give it up to Aaron Jackson, who is the first uh, uh, black speed skater. Uh, world-class speed skater in U.S. history. And so then the speed skating officials, I mean, Jackson didn't know any of this was going on. Bo contacted the speed skating officials and said, look, I want to give up my spot. And by, by the way, Brittany Bo is going to, this is her, would it be her third Olympics. And, you know, probably her last one because she uh, she's getting on in, in, in years. And so she told the officials, and so the uh, speed skating officials called up Aaron Jackson and said, hey, look, uh, we want you to be here uh, when the team is announced. And they end up announcing that she has made the team after all. That's just awesome. Uh, now, you know, it's a great gesture by, uh, by Bo. No question about it. Now, it's not like Bo's not going to the Olympics. Um, Bo is 33 years old, as they said. It's going to be her last Olympics. 
Um, but she is already uh, qualified for the thousand and fifteen hundred. So she's still going to be there. She just won't just won't skate in the five hundred. Uh, she will skate in just the thousand and the fifteen hundred. So, and, and, and look, I love what Bo said. She said, this is bigger than just me. It's the Olympics. It's about Team USA and giving everybody the opportunity to showcase what they've got. And Aaron Jackson is a world-class speed skater. As I said, the first black speed skater to win uh, a World Cup event for, for the United States. Just a, a, you know, a great story and, uh, you know, one little stumble. She tried to get a reskate, and uh, the rules would not allow her to do that. Um, so... Brittany Bow made sure that she's going to be there. So, uh, look, I, I, I will be a big, I'll be rooting for Brittany Bow in the thousand. I hope she wins them both because just a, a classy gesture. Good for her. Uh, good for Erin Jackson. I hope she goes there and, uh, and performs well and, uh, uh, and everybody walks away happy. But that's why I love the Olympic Games. You know, I mean, it's kind of like you remember in the Summer Olympic Games that they just had uh, when there were two. Uh, uh, high jumpers, one from Qatar, and I can't remember where the other one was from. Um, but they tied. They were have they you know, and they uh, and the officials came to these two guys and said, "Look, we can have a jump off. You know, since they're both at the same height, we can have a jump off." And one of these guys said, "Well, if we don't do that, do we both win a gold medal?" And the guy said, "Yes." And so they said, "Well, then let's just have a tie, and we'll both win the gold medal." You know, instead of saying, no, no, I want to be the best and I only want the gold and, you know, I don't want to be a cold gold medal winner, you know, instead of doing that, they, they just said, yeah, hey, yeah, let's do that. That's what it should be about. You know, so good for them. Good for them. Uh, last thing this morning, not sports related, but uh, we were all sad to hear that Ronnie Spector passed away yesterday. Uh, Ronnie Spector is somebody that uh, was one of the voices of my youth. Part of the uh, the Motown Wall of Sound, uh, you know the the lead singer for the Ronettes. Uh, we all know, you know, "Be My Baby" and just uh, and, and even people that are younger than I am, you might remember her uh, from. I think it was was it in the eighties? I think it was sometime in the late eighties that uh, Eddie Money had that song, "Take Me Home Tonight," and uh, Ronnie Spector sang uh, "Be My Baby" on that, and. Uh, uh, so a lot of people were introduced, younger people were introduced to her that way. But uh, just and she had a solo career of her own after the Ronettes broke up. The Ronettes broke up. Oh, God, 68, 69, something like that. Uh, they didn't last very long, but she had a pretty good uh, uh, solo career of her of her own, was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She became friends with the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. And uh, matter of fact, when she was inducted, in, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Keith Richards was the one uh, that uh, that did the induction. So, uh, uh, but Ronnie Van, uh, Ronnie Van Zandt, Ronnie Spector passed away yesterday uh, at the age of seventy-eight uh, after a battle with cancer. So we're going to leave you this morning with a little music from the Ronettes. This is "Baby I Love You," one of their uh, hits, one of their uh, many many hits. Matter of fact, I believe this was off of their. Uh, their first album, which was uh, presenting the fabulous Ronettes featuring Veronica because uh, Ronnie Spector's name, uh, her given name was Veronica Bennett. Uh, so uh, uh, here's Baby I Love You as we remember Ronnie Spector who passed away at the age of 78. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow with Dan Zampano. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.